Testament reading is from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 37. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. This is the word of the Lord. No? Is the uh, microphone working? How's that? Is that better? Um, Maybe I could just offer a word of prayer before we start. Father God, as we open up your word today, um, we do pray that you would be speaking to us through it. Um, Would you be glorified in our presence and at the hearing and reading of your word? Amen. Amen. Jesus finds himself uh, in a very important week in Jerusalem. It's the week leading up to Passover, the greatest event in the Jewish calendar. It's a time of great uh, nationalism, of importance for the country. Uh, Just to put it in context, it's on par with a successful English World Cup football run. Here's a time where the people, the, the Jewish people, They look back to the time God rescued them from Egypt and look forward to the hope of the promised king, the chosen king who God says will lead his people for him. And onto this scene, in the midst of this great excitement, appears Jesus riding on a donkey. He has uh, been doing doing things and saying things which uh, they have never heard before. No one has ever ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey. No one has ever entered the temple courts and driven the buyers and sellers out of there. Three times uh, before we get to our passage, he has been accosted by his enemies. Three times they have challenged his authority. They have challenged what he's saying. And three times he has knocked their arguments out of the ballpark. No one can touch this man. So here's the context 
for today's passage. A time of great anticipation and hope, a time of waiting for God's promised king and Jesus Christ who appears in Jerusalem doing things and saying things which are shaking up uh, society. God's promise and Jesus meeting here this week in Jerusalem. And out of this context arise three questions which, uh, which form the basis of our, of our passage today. And these are the three questions which the people would have been asking themselves during this time. What should the people of God look like? What would their king be like? And maybe, just maybe, could Jesus of Nazareth be that king? So let's look at some of these questions. What should the people of God look like? Another way of saying that is, how should God's people act? You see, this is exactly the question that's being asked by the teacher of the law when he says to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? He's not trying to dismiss the law. He's not trying to narrow it down to one which he just has to do. What he's, what he's, what he's wondering is, how can he summarize God's intentions for all his people in a really simple way. So my wife and I uh, really enjoy doing puzzles together. She's much better at them than I am. Uh, I don't have the patience for them. Um, And she insists every time we do a puzzle that the edges get built first, that we have the framework for understanding how the rest of the puzzle fits together. What this teacher of the law is looking for is a framework for understanding how God's commandments reflect what the people of God should look like. And Jesus answers his question. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your minds and with all your strength. But he doesn't leave it there, does he? He never answers our questions in a simple way. And he says that there's a commandment which follows on immediately from this. Love your neighbor as yourself. For Jesus, both of these come together. There's no trade-off as if we somehow have to balance loving God and loving our neighbor and split our time between the two. No, for Jesus, to love God means loving God's people. God's people are expected to do both. So let's unpack this a little bit. The issue at stake here is... What are we concerned about? What do we love? The answer is ourselves. We spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves. When I wake up, I either think to myself, can I have ten more minutes of sleep in bed? Or can I go and get myself breakfast? I think about getting myself dressed, getting myself to work, getting through the tasks that I need to do. So much time and energy and thinking about ourselves and our lives. And even when we're being charitable with our time and our money, we view them as things which primarily come from us. And in the first part of his answer here, Jesus Jesus is saying that we need to shift the focus away from ourselves and out toward God. God is to be the king over our lives. We are to be concerned with him to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. With everything that we are. 
For Jesus, the most basic requirement of God's people is that they are utterly concerned with, that they are utterly orientated towards God. And this is how this first commandment leads directly onto the second commandment. If we love God, if our thinking is orientated toward him instead of towards ourselves, then we will be concerned with the same things that God is concerned with. I love my wife, and because I love my wife, I'm concerned to do jigsaw puzzles with her. I'm concerned to watch her play netball. So what is God concerned with? Well, God is concerned with his people. He's concerned with justice. But this isn't justice the way that we think about justice, which is giving somebody the bare minimum that they need or or giving somebody something that they deserve. Because in the Old Testament, justice reflects God's character. It's overflowing. It's It's an abundant blessing. It's beyond that which we either need or deserve. We understand this kind of overflowing abundance when we treat ourselves, don't we? If I make myself a cup of tea, then I might treat myself to a biscuit. And then once I've had the first biscuit, I might treat myself to a second biscuit, a third biscuit. And if I'm feeling particularly indulgent, suddenly the packet has disappeared. And we do this all the time when we buy ourselves a new car or a new TV, when we go shopping for clothes, when we apply for jobs or push for a particular education, when we try to move within the right social circles. Time and time again, we invest our money, our resources, not just in the bare minimum that we need to get by, but in a way which goes beyond what we, what we require. These aren't bad things. They're not things we should be ashamed about, but they do reveal what we're concerned with, ourselves. And Jesus says, I can see that you're concerned with yourselves in this abundant, self-indulgent way. But are you concerned with others in the same way? Are you concerned with others with abundance, indulgent generosity? Do you prioritize them like you prioritize yourself? Do you want to be a source of overflowing blessing to them? Or are you concerned to let them get away with the bare minimum? This is the challenge Jesus sets, the the edge of the puzzle he sets for God's people. Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and all of your strength? Do you love your neighbour as yourself? And this is the bit that it gets a bit awkward for me. Um, I've spent a week poring over this passage, wrestling with the implications for my life, wrestling, wrestling with the implications for, for Christian living in general. And I have to stand here before all of you and confess that my answer to Jesus' challenge is no. I do not love God with all of my heart, mind, soul and strength. I do not love my neighbour as myself. I haven't prioritised other people the same way I have prioritised myself. I, and perhaps you do too, find find myself in the same position as this teacher of the law. He has spent his entire life 
studying God's commandments. He knows them off the back of his, on the back of his hand, like the back of his hand. He knows them off the top of his head. And what does Jesus say about this man? What does he say about you and me who know these commandments? He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. That must have been a real kick in the teeth for this great learned teacher of the law. He knew what God's commandments were. He knew God's requirements for his people. And yet, even then, he still didn't cut cut it. We can know the expectations. We can know God's standards. We can even see the wisdom in them. But we're never quite ready to live by them, are we? And so, we return to God's promise of a future king. If this is what God's people are supposed to look like, what would their king look like? We cannot look like that by ourselves. We cannot fulfill these commandments by ourselves. What God's people need is a king who will help to shape them into the kind of people that God requires them to be. So if these two commandments are the edge of the jigsaw puzzle, then the king is supposed to be the picture on the box. This king has to be the person who shows them perfectly what God's intentions are. And so when Jesus raises the question of what the Messiah, Messiah, their king, should look like, this is what he says. Uh, Look with me at verse 35. Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord, how then can he be his son? It's, a, it's an interesting passage. It's, it's um, a bit weird to try and get our heads around, perhaps. Um, it's steeped in a very Jewish way of thinking about Scripture. But it actually makes a very simple point. You see, the people are expecting a human king, a descendant of David who would rule like David. But Jesus says that the king that they should be expecting is much better than that. Even David, held up to the highest ideal of what a king should look like, says, no, he's better. I can call him Lord. Imagine a friend has uh, invited you to go go go-karting, and you're really excited to go. You turn up to the track expecting to see a a 50cc uh, go-kart engine, uh, but instead... What he has ready for you is the latest Mercedes Formula One car, lined up and ready to go. It, it is completely beyond your expectations. It's the kind of, the kind of power um, that you are just not thinking about. And Jesus is trying to say, this is the kind of king which God's people need to expect. Not just someone who will be like David, not just someone who will be another human, not just someone who will lead them in a political way, but, but a king who will be much more than that, who will be much greater. He wouldn't just rule God's people. He would exemplify what the people should look like. Where we are unable to, fu- uh, to fully love God or to love our neighbor, this king would achieve both perfectly.
and as the tension builds in Jerusalem this week, as the excitement bubbles over, as as these two things collide, the promise of God and this person, Jesus Christ, the inevitable question, could Jesus be the king God's people are waiting for? Well, I think we only have to look at what Jesus does to see that, yes, he is the perfect example for God's people. He is the picture on the front of the jigsaw puzzle box. If you remember the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's killed, Jesus is weeping with fear at the thought of going through with his crucifixion at the cross. What does he say when he's there? Not my will, but yours be done. He loves God so much with all of his heart, soul, mind and strength that he is more concerned with God's plan and more concerned with the people God is trying to rescue than he is about his own life. He completely exemplifies what it means to truly love God and to truly love God's people. He loves God, so he loves the people of God. And so he goes to the cross. So where then does this leave us? We have Jesus who has proven that he is worthy to be God's chosen king. Jesus who is brought back from death and who now rules over God's people. Perhaps you're here today and you cannot say that Jesus is your king. Can I encourage you to learn more about him? Come and speak to me or Rob at the end. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. In a second, I'm going to pray, and perhaps you'd like to take that as the opportunity um, to ask Jesus to be the king in your life for your first time. For those of us here today who have been Christians for a long time, who can say Jesus is your king, perhaps it'll be good to think about What is it in in your life which stops you loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength? What is it that stops you loving your neighbour as yourself? And perhaps this week will be a good week to reflect on the example Jesus gives us. Reflect on what he is doing to achieve God's purposes and God's intentions in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is um, abundantly clear that we are not able to love you as you deserve to be loved. We are not able to love our neighbour as we love ourselves the way you require. Lord, we are sorry. But we take great delight in knowing that you are the God who has set Jesus above us as the king. The king who not only leads by example, but is transforming his people to look like him. And perhaps if you do want to welcome Jesus as your king for the first time, you can say these words in your heart. Jesus, I recognize the wrong that is in my life. 
I recognize that I have not loved God or others the way I have loved myself. Jesus, I want you to be king. And I want you to teach me how to do that. Amen.